63. In question will disappear. Excess of urates has now been definitely traced, in the majority of instances, to functional torpidity of the liver. Another common form of deposit is that in which the reaction of the urine, instead of being acid, as in health, is either neutral or alkaline, and in which the earthy phosphates are precipitated for this reason. The earthy phosphates, when thrown down by a neutral or an alkaline condition of the urine, appear as a heavy white deposit, which, though usually devoid of clinical significance, is certainly calculated to frighten timid patients who read of the terrible ravages of brights in the advertisements of various popular kidney cures, to prove that the precipitate is phosphatic in its nature. Add a few drops of vinegar and it will disappear, whilst, if, after the vinegar has been added, the specimen be brought to the boiling point, not only both the urates and phosphates remain in solution, but there is only one single substance known to pathological chemistry that can form a deposit under these conditions and that substance is albumin, which, if present in quantity, is always indicative of serious disease. The papers are filled with the plausible but unwarranted statements of the manufacturers of various kidney cures, who anxiously desire that everyone should be impressed with the idea that all their troubles arise from kidney disease in order to sell large quantities of their medicines. In many cases the unfortunate patient is rendered much worse by the use of remedies that are not sweet to his condition, and which will not cure the real trouble with which he is affected. Daily we are consulted by persons in whose cases these errors have been made. In reality, true Bright's disease is not a common affection, and nine out often individuals who think that they suffer from it, or the early stages of the trouble, in fact have something more curable. In some cases it is an affection of the liver which forces an excretion of unnatural salts by the kidneys, and thus renders the urine acrid and irritating, or they may be suffering from some other disease, such as a deformity or enlargement of certain glands, as the prostate, and natural position of the organs, as with women who suffer from weakness, the uterus pressing forward on the bladder and urethra, and thus showing every evidence of disease in the urinary canal. It is as common for persons to suffer from deformity of the urinary canal as from misshapen limbs or from noses and ears not of proper size and proportion. The urinary canal, from the bladder outward, is narrow and delicate. Any disease or injury therein is liable to result in gradual contraction, which may be manifested long years after the cause has been forgotten, or has disappeared. These affections, to the inexperienced, or the physician who is not particularly alert and cautious in his diagnosis, are liable to cause error, and he will pronounce a given case Bright's disease when in reality there is some simple cause for the irritation of the urinary canal, and the pains in the kidneys, etc. all of which frequently result from a slight damming up of the flow of water, and the prevention of free expulsion from the system of the salts of which the body is relieved by the kidneys, they cannot work under pressure, when, from any cause, the flow of water is checked, and, as it were, dammed up so that a slight pressure is put upon the kidneys below, their secretion is most materially interfered with, and the many trains of symptoms that usher in disease of the kidneys, appear, the true, and only sure way to relieve these conditions, as can be understood by anyone, is to remove the real cause, the use of any medicine that stimulates the kidneys to an irritable action, under such pressure, is to be avoided, as it only makes the trouble worse, increases the amount of water that is dammed up, and results in more serious manifestations of constitutional disease, whereas, by merely relieving the choked outlet, the flow of water becomes free, and the kidneys are speedily restored to their natural condition.
This is well illustrated by the following, case 113.396, as recorded at the Invalids Hotel, LCK Farmer, age 41, married, for a period of nearly 10 years, as a result of slight injury, he had suffered from cloudy and unhealthy looking water, with some burning on passing it, frequent calls to urinate, swelling of the limbs, loss of energy and strength, headache, etc., gradually there appeared severe pain in the back, at times recurring with a sense of fullness in the abdomen, for a period of nearly eight years he had been constantly treated by physicians at his home, all of whom had investigated his case, he had made several long journeys to consult the manufacturers of a much advertised kidney cure, who, after pretending to examine his urine, scientifically none of the proprietors are physicians, assured him that, without the shadow of a doubt, his disease was Bright's, and that he might be cured by their kidney cure, which was for sale at all drug stores. For a period of 18 months he steadily took this cure, which, he states, he is sure aggravated his disease, as, although his sufferings at times were less, he felt that he was not improving in the least, and that his disorder was not being properly controlled. His home physician went with him on several occasions, consulted with the owner of the proprietary medicine, and was equally mistaken in his diagnosis. After consulting many doctors, all of whom assured him they could give him treatment that would prolong his life somewhat, and make his condition comfortable, but that no treatment would affect his cure, he was induced, by reading our article, heretofore referred to, to consult us. A very thorough examination of the case was made which resulted in finding two contractions of the urethra, which admitted only the smallest sized probe, and which, necessarily, prevented the free flow of the urine. These were speedily removed, when, much to the surprise of his family physician, who accompanied him, over 37 ounces of fluid were drawn from the bladder. This gave him immediate and perfect relief. The pains and aches in the region of the kidneys, the weakness and tenderness, and the many other uncomfortable symptoms with which he was troubled, all disappeared, from a feeble and irritable invalid, in a few weeks he was converted into a happy and cheerful man, the symptoms of congestion and irritability of the kidneys gradually disappeared, and in 30 days after visiting us he writes that he feels himself entirely sound and well, this gentleman states that he will be pleased to correspond with anyone who wishes to learn the particulars of his case, and his full name and address will be furnished to any inquirer. Bright's disease when fully established is characterized by degeneration of the kidneys, submitted to examination, after death by this disease, these organs present various appearances, hence, the degeneration that characterizes the disease has been designated as waxy degeneration, some pathologists contend that the disease consists of several different renal maladies, all of which, however, agree in the one ever-present symptom of a more or less albuminous condition of the urine. As to the causes of kidney disease, it may be said that anything which will give rise to a greater or less degree of congestion of the kidney will induce either a temporary albuminous condition of the urine, or a true Bright's disease of the kidneys, suppression of perspiration, by exposure to cold and wet, want of cleanliness, deficiency of nutritious diet, liver disease, certain poisons in the system, as of scarlet fever, measles, erysipelas or diphtheria taken in conjunction with sedentary habits, bad air, excessive mental labor or worry, may each occasion an albuminous urine, and finally result in Bright's disease, but of all causes that appear to produce this disease, none are so prolific as intemperance, a scrofulous diathesis, or habit of body, 
may strongly predispose to the disease, and chronic kidney disease frequently follows acute rheumatism and the practice of masturbation. In some instances the chronic form of Bright's disease follows an acute attack, but is more often developed slowly and insidiously without any known cause. The symptoms of this fatal malady generally appear so gradually that they excite but little or no concern until it has reached its more advanced and dangerous stages. Frequently, a puffy, watery or flabby condition of the face, particularly under the eyes, is the first symptom noticed, and the patient may observe that his urine is diminished in quantity. The urine is sometimes abundant, but generally more scanty than in health, is acid in its reaction, and generally of a low specific gravity. The countenance is generally somewhat pale and bloodless, which, taken with the dropsical condition of the system, and the constant albuminous condition of the urine, points the expert specialist to Bright's disease of the kidneys. Various circumstances and conditions may give rise to the temporary presence of albumin in the urine, and, although albumin may be temporarily absent from the urine even when Bright's disease exists, yet this is not common. There are certain indirect symptoms which point clearly and almost unmistakably to the presence of this disease. These are deep-seated pain or weakness in the back, gradual loss of flesh, red, brown, or dingy urine, more or less drowsiness, and as the disease advances, a smothering sensation, or difficulty in breathing, with dropsical poofiness or swelling. Occasional attacks of nausea and vomiting are common, pains in the limbs and loins, which are often mistaken for rheumatism. Irregularity of the bowels is also common. The skin becomes harsh and dry, not perspiring even under active exercise. Sometimes these symptoms are years in their development, being very obscure at first, and in some cases the disease has been known to prove fatal without the patient having experienced any extraordinary symptoms. With those whose systems are enfeebled by want, intemperance, exposures or disease, as scrofula or syphilis, the first symptoms usually observed will be a frequent desire to urinate, occasional attacks of diarrhea, flatulency, dropsical swelling of the face, especially under the eyes, and afterwards of the extremities, paleness and increasing debility, stupor, apoplexy and convulsions are the foreigners of a fatal termination, microscopical and chemical examinations of the urine are the only reliable means of diagnosis, and should be often repeated, see urinary signs, in appendix, as albumin is often present in the urine without the existence of Bright's disease, it is impossible, except by the aid of the microscope, to distinguish true Bright's from other affections of the kidneys, in both purulent urine, and that containing blood, albumin will be found by the usual tests, but in smaller quantity than in Bright's disease, albumin, with disintegrated epithelia, hyaline, and large granular casts, as well as waxy casts, are peculiar to and characteristic of this disease. In the treatment of this malady, our specialist's experience has been very great, and attended with marvelous success. Of course, after the substance of the kidney has degenerated and broken down, and become destroyed to any great extent, a cure is impossible, but that we now possess remedies of great value, and specific power over this terrible disease. We had the most positive evidence in the remarkable success attended in its treatment. Most cases that are curable can be managed successfully at a distance, the necessary medicines being sent either by mail or express. Our specialists have cured many in this way who were so bloated from dropsical effusion as to weigh 25 to 40 pounds more than usual. In our sanitarium, where we have had the advantage of our Turkish baths and other appliances, 
we have cured some cases in which the removal of the dropsical effusion reduced the patient's weight 60 pounds. We cannot, in conclusion, too strongly condemn the general resort to strong diuretics so often prescribed by physicians for all forms of renal maladies, but which, by overstimulating the already weak and delicate kidneys, only aggravate and render incurable thousands of cases annually. Not less harmful are the many advertised kidney cures, kidney remedies, bukus, and kindred preparations. They all contain powerful, stimulating diuretics, and, while they may appear for a short time to do good, invariably render the case worse and far more difficult to cure. The cases of Bright's disease reported cured by these preparations are cases of far less dangerous maladies, made to appear, by exaggerated accounts of them, as true Bright's disease. The use of these general, ready-made or proprietary remedies in any case of true Bright's disease is hazardous in the extreme. In no disease is there greater necessity for treatment nicely adapted to the exact condition of the patient which should always be carefully ascertained by microscopical and chemical examinations of the urine than in this, as it is a disease that runs a slow course. There is always time to send samples of the urine for examination by expert specialists, and no other physician than a specialist of large experience should be entrusted with the treatment of a malady so dangerous in its character and in the diagnosis and treatment of which general practitioners commit such frequent, and often fatal, errors, see testimonials, diabetes, P-O-L-Y-U-R-I and G-L-Y-C-O-S-U-R-I. There are two essentially different varieties of this disease, one of which is called diabetes insipidus, or polyuria, and the other diabetes mellitus, or glycosuria. The first is characterized by an increase in the amount of urine excreted, and yields readily to proper treatment. The second is characterized by the presence of sugar in the urine, and under ordinary treatment often proves fatal. The causes are obscure, and are therefore not very well understood by the profession. Symptoms. A notable increase of the quantity of urine excreted is the first symptom which attracts the patient's attention. Frequently, several quarts, or even gallons, of urine are daily excreted, and it is paler than natural. The patient experiences extraordinary thirst and has an almost insatiable appetite, though at the same time he loses flesh and strength. The tongue may be either clammy and furred or unnaturally clean and red. The bowels become constipated, and a peculiar odor is observed in the patient's breath and exhales from his body. The skin becomes harsh, dry, and scurfy. There are dizziness, headache, dejection, lassitude, and not infrequently blindness, caused by cataract, is developed in one or both eyes. The intellect is blunted, and, as the disease progresses, the emaciation and debility increase, and pulmonary diseases develop, or, perhaps, an uncontrollable diarrhea sets in and the patient dies from exhaustion. In this disease, as in Bright's, we have many medicines that produce specific curative effects, enabling our specialists to treat it with greatly increased success. The disease is readily diagnosticated, or determined, by chemical examination of the urine so that we have been enabled to treat this class of cases very successfully at a distance, and without personal examinations. Great attention should be paid to the diet in these cases. It should be highly nutritious, but anything of a sweet or starchy nature must be avoided. The following articles are wholesome and afford sufficient variety. This dot of animal food beefsteak, game, poultry, fish, eggs, cheese, cream, butter, of vegetable spinach, dandelion greens, turnip tops, watercresses, lettuce, celery, and radishes, of drinks tea, 
coffee, claret, water, brandy and water, beef tea, mutton broth, or water acidulated with tartaric, nitric, citric, muriatic, or phosphoric acid. The forbidden articles are oysters, crabs, lobsters, sugar, wheat, rye, corn or oatmeal cakes, rice, potatoes, carrots, vests, peas, beans, pastry, puddings, sweetened custards, apples, pears, peaches, strawberries, currants, etc. Also beer, sweet wines, port, rum, gin, and cider. See testimonials. Chronic inflammation of the bladder. Chronic cystitis. This affection, also called catarrh of the bladder, is an inflammation of the mucous lining of this organ. It may occur at any period of life, but it oftenest appears in the aged, and is usually associated with some obstruction to the flow of urine. Causes. It may be due to colds, injuries, irritating diuretics, injections, extension of disease from the kidneys or adjacent organs, intemperance, severe horseback riding, recession of cutaneous affections, doubt, rheumatism, etc., but it more frequently results from stricture of the urethra, enlarged prostate gland, gravel, and gonorrhea. It is also caused by unhabitual retention of the urine, and sometimes results from masturbation or self-abuse. Symptoms. There is an uneasy sensation in the bladder, and heaviness and sometimes pain and weakness in the back and loins. The urine is scanty, and, although there is a desire to avoid it frequently, it is passed with difficulty. If allowed to stand, it deposits more or less mucus, which is sometimes mistaken for semen. As the disease progresses, the quantity of the mucus increases. It is very viscid, and adheres to the sides of the vessels, so that if an attempt be made to pour it out, it forms long, tenacious, ropey threads. Sometimes the quantity of mucus is so great that on exposure to cold the whole mass becomes semi-solid, and resembles the white of an egg. The excreted urine is alkaline, acrid, exhales a strong odor of ammonia, and soon becomes exceedingly fetid. Sometimes the urine becomes so thick that great difficulty is experienced in expelling it from the bladder. Nocturnal emissions, impotency, and loss of sexual desire are apt to ensue. Occasionally there will be a spasmodic contraction of the bladder, with straining and a sensation of scalding in the urethra, and sometimes the patient is unable to urinate. When ulceration occurs in the progress of the disease, as it is apt to in its advanced stages, blood will occasionally be seen in the urine. In the advanced stages of the disease the system becomes greatly debilitated, emaciation supervenes, with hectic fever, nervous irritability and, finally, death. Treatment. A strict observance of the rules of hygiene is essential to a cure. We must ascertain the cause if possible, remove it, and thus prevent it from perpetuating the disease. The various causes and conditions involved in different cases demand corresponding modifications of treatment. Hence, it is useless for us to attempt to teach the non-professional how to treat this complex disease. We have succeeded in curing many severe cases without seeing the patient being guided in prescribing by indications furnished by microscopical and chemical examinations of the urine. See urinary signs in appendix. In fact, nearly all cases can be cured at their homes, and without a personal examination being made. In the worst cases, we have found it best to have our patients at our institution, where we can wash out the bladder with soothing, healing lotions, and thus make direct applications to the diseased parts. See testimonials. Gravel. When the solid constituents of the urine are increased to such an extent that they cannot be held in solution, or when abnormal substances are secreted, 
they are precipitated in small crystals, which, if minute, are called gravel. Another cause of the precipitation of these salts is a stricture of the urinary canal which, by interfering with the free expulsion of all the fluid from the bladder, results in the retention of a portion, which gradually undergoes decomposition. Salts from the urine are thus precipitated in the same way that they are thrown down in urine which is allowed to stand in a vessel. Anyone can illustrate this, by allowing a small quantity of the urinary secretion to stand for a few days either in an open or a closed bottle, soon a white, flaky deposit will be observed, which will become more and more dense, and finally fine grains will be seen precipitated at the bottom of the bottle, similar grains, lodging in the folds of the bladder, gradually increase in size, by the precipitation of more salts around them, and ultimately become a source of much irritation. When of large size, they are termed calculi or stones. When these formations occur in the kidneys they are termed renal calculi. When in the bladder, vesicle calculi. There are several varieties of gravel, each depending upon different conditions of the system for its formation. The two prominent varieties are the red, containing uric acid, and the white, or phosphatic, gravel. Symptoms. When the deposits are in the kidneys, there is pain in the back and loins occasionally cutting and severe, sometimes it darts down the course of the ureter to the bladder, and extends even to the thighs, when the deposits are in the bladder, there is a frequent desire to urinate, with a bearing down, straining pain, also a cutting or scratching sensation in the urethra during mixuretion, in the male, intense pain is often experienced at the end of the penis, when the urine is voided in a vessel and allowed to settle, a gravelly deposit is seen, generally of a red or a white color, and the particles varying in size. Treatment. These urinary deposits indicate a general derangement of the system, as well as a local disease. Nutrition is imperfect and some of the excretory organs are not properly performing their functions. Or, perhaps, some portion of the body is being too rapidly wasted. Very frequently we find these gravelly formations as the result of a rheumatic or a gouty diathesis. It is also a well-known fact that torpidity of the liver throws an excessive amount of work on the kidneys. These organs then, in part, perform the function of the liver, and hence a natural activity is required of them, and the secreting of such substances as uric acid, which precipitates readily and gives rise to severe irritation of the urinary canal. In order to treat these cases rationally and successfully, it is first necessary to ascertain by microscopical and perhaps chemical examinations, the character of the deposit, by such an examination, the exact condition of the system which gives rise to these abnormal products may be definitely determined, and the remedies to be employed indicated, as the non-professional are not qualified to make such examinations, it would be useless for us to suggest specific treatment for the various forms of this affection. Samples of the urine may be sent to us with a brief description of the symptoms experienced, and the proper medicines to cure can be returned by mail or express. Our specialists are treating, with uniform success, large numbers of cases in this way. See testimonials. Stone in the bladder. Few affections to which the human flesh is heir are more painful than this terrible affliction. The cutting operation heretofore required to remove it is considered one of the most dangerous operations that the surgeon is ever called upon to perform. The death of the Emperor Louis Napoleon, of France, from an operation for the removal of a stone, at the hands of surgeons renowned for their skill, gave new impetus to the efforts of surgeons to invent some method that would be less dangerous than that which has been heretofore commonly employed. The cutting operations have been the rule, 
of these the operation by median section is the safest, and is most commonly employed for the removal of stones that are not too large, while the lateral operation is used where the stone is more than about one inch in its smallest diameter, as will be seen by the consultation of any hospital record. The deaths in these various operations have been, in adults, from 1 in 3 to 1 in every 4 cases a very large percentage, and sufficient to deter any sufferer from undergoing an operation except for the relief of a condition which is in itself worse than death. Even when this alarming death rate is explained to sufferers, they willingly undergo the operation, feeling that they would rather die than longer continue in their pain and anguish. Our specialists, not satisfied with the results of these operative measures, in their studies of the disease endeavored to perfect some other means by which these foreign bodies could be removed from the bladder without such great danger and pain. The operation by crushing, and removal without cutting, appeared to them to present the most practicable advantages, and they therefore devote their entire time to the improvement of this method for the removal of stone. The method of crushing was first invented by a French surgeon many years ago, but, owing to his crude instruments, and the difficulty that was experienced in expelling the pieces of stone. The operation was seldom employed by surgeons. The improvements in these methods at the hands of Bigelow and Sir Henry Thompson, with those that have been made by our specialists, have resulted in our being able to present to sufferers with this disease, a means of cure which island we are assured, the most successful known to modern medical science. There have been so far in the history of the treatment of this malady by the new method of cure, 120 odd cases operated upon at the hands of prominent surgeons, all of which were with less perfect methods than that of our specialists, and there were but four deaths in this large number. By the advantages which are the result of further improvements by our specialists, we can assure you that this mortality is even less in our hands, in fact, approaches, as near as possible, to a perfect method of cure. We think that in a moderately healthy subject, one in which the kidneys are not badly diseased as the result of irritation from the calculus. The operation is almost absolutely safe. The method consists in the crushing of the stone, and its removal from the bladder by means of small silver catheters attached to an apparatus which gently and perfectly removes, by suction, all the pieces which are thrown to the bottom of the bladder. This operation has now been performed in our institution in a very large number of cases with uniform success and the cures have been effected in from six to eight weeks without a single unpleasant symptom arising during their progress. By this method it is not necessary to remove the entire calculus at one operation, if it is a large one. By the old cutting operation this was required, as the bleeding was great, and what was to be done had to be done immediately, or the patient would die from the hemorrhage. With the new method a part of the large calculus, or when several exist, one or two of them, may be removed at a time after which the patient can rest and gain strength for the second, or, if necessary, for the third operation. The largest stone removed by us in this way was one weighing between 7 and 800 grains, for which three operations were required. It is necessarily performed under a mild anesthetic, which prevents suffering and secures the perfect relaxation of the patient. In the case in which this large amount of stone was removed we feel certain that a cure could not possibly have resulted from a cutting operation as the heart was seriously affected, and the physical condition of the patient so low, as the result of years of suffering, that death would have occurred while undergoing the operation, by carefully pursuing the new method, and not prolonging the sittings more than a few minutes each time, the entire stone was evacuated, the health of the patient constantly improved during the interval of three operations, 
which covered a space of seven weeks. The stone was as large as a hen's egg. Small calculi or gravel are readily removed in a few moments' time by the new method. In no case is there any bleeding. Instead of a large, gaping wound being left after the operation, from which secondary hemorrhage may take place, or poisoning result from the irritation of decomposing urine, the parts are left in a healthy state with the surface unbroken. The stone, a constant source of irritation, is removed, and the health is speedily restored. When it is impossible for the patient to visit us, a careful examination of the urine is made, and if gravel had been passed, these are carefully examined also. An idea of the composition of the stone is arrived at by this means, and treatment is directed to dissolve it. Success has commonly followed this method of treatment, when the stone has not been very large. With the gradual reduction of the size of the stone the irritation subsides, and the general health of the patient improves. See testimonials. Chronic enlargement of the prostate gland. Hypertrophy. The prostate gland lies just in front of the base of the bladder, and surrounding the urethra or urinary canal, enlargement, therefore, of this body, if it be of considerable extent, causes it to encroach and press upon the base of the bladder, and to more or less constrict the urinary canal near the base or outlet of the bladder, the enlargement may be only slight, or the dimensions of the gland may be increased from the size of a large chestnut, its normal dimension, to the volume of a pullet's egg, or even to the size of an orange. Hypertrophy of the prostate generally arises from causes which operate in a slow and permanent manner. Whatever has a tendency to produce a determination of blood to, and an engorgement of, this organ, is capable of producing the affection, an augmented flow of blood to be the part having the effect to increase the nutrition. Among the most frequent causes of this affection, are excessive venery, masturbation, disease of the bladder, stricture of the urethra, horseback exercise, gonorrhea and the employment of strong, stimulating diuretics. Some of the worst cases that we have had to deal with have occurred in old men, and, in fact, the malady is more common to those advanced in life, but it is frequently produced in those of middle age by the causes enumerated. Among the earliest symptoms of the disease is an uneasy feeling in the region of the base of the bladder. There is a more frequent desire to urinate than usual, and, in the course of time, this frequency becomes more urgent. Still no particular notice may be taken of it, it being considered as only a slight inconvenience. After several months, or it may be years, the discomfort increases, and nightly calls to empty the bladder become habitual. By and by the patient begins to find the discomfort of getting out of his warm bed very troublesome, still no notice to taken of it. He does not come, 